Welcome to our Wednesday night study through the book of Acts as we continue looking at how we, the church, called First Norfolk, can fulfill the call that God has, have, has, has given us. And that call goes back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This is the call that uh, propelled the church in uh, Jerusalem and then to Antioch and then through Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi and Colossae, uh, Thyatira, these churches that were birthed, all were birthed out of the church being faithful to the call. And that call is you, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be witnesses for me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Tonight, we're going to look at Acts chapter 20. So go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 20 in your copy of Scripture. While you're turning there, tonight we're going to talk about encouragement. And that is something that the church is called to do. We all need encouragement. When we look at encouragement in Scripture and in a few weeks when we start a new series called We Are Family, we're going to talk about how family encourages one another. But the Greek word for encourage in the New Testament is parakaleo. And what that means is a, a broad range of things. It, it can mean to comfort. It can mean to encourage, to, to bolster, to embolden. Uh, it can mean to admonish or correct. Uh, it has a lot of different nuance to it. And that one word, uh, parakaleo, is also the word that is used by Jesus to describe the Holy Spirit when he talked about the spirit of truth, uh, the comforter, uh, the parakletos. He was talking about the Holy Spirit who would come, who would inspire us and encourage us and indwell us so that we might fulfill the mission. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus said that the spirit, the paraclete, uh, will testify to people of him, and we, his followers, will join in that witness, and we will bear witness to Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Again, Acts 1.8, that's what Jesus was talking about. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses for me. The Spirit of God encourages our hearts, and as a community of the Spirit, that's what the church is, a community of the Spirit, we must encourage one another. So as we look at Acts chapter 20, we're looking at this idea of encouragement. Uh, more than just merely divine comfort, it is the power of God at work in individuals to spur one another onward and forward into the mission. And that was Paul's great concern in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Uh, we, if you remember, we just had a riot in Ephesus at the end of chapter 19. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 1, it says, After the uproar in Ephesus had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself. He embraced them, and he departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged Paracleo, when he had encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece, and it says in verse 3 that he spent about three months there. Uh, what's Paul doing? Paul is going back to the churches that he had planted, back to the congregations that he had founded, and he is encouraging them. He's 
encouraging them with the words of God uh, found in Holy Scripture. He's encouraging them so that they might press forward on the mission that God has given us. We're not merely to comfort one another so that we might merely be comforted, feel good. Uh, We're to be comforted so that we might uh, be faithful and effective in telling others who Jesus is. So the church, following the example of the Apostle Paul, is to encourage one another. For further context on verses 1, 2, and 3, and a little bit of 4, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter Two, uh, chapters 1 through 7. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, we hear about Paul writing a letter of tears uh, to the church at Corinth. They had gotten crossways. In 1 Corinthians, we see that they were uh, eat up with division. I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas or Peter. And there was this great division in the church in 1 Corinthians. It expanded and multiplied Uh, after the writing of 1 Corinthians. And in that season, uh, probably while Paul was in Ephesus for three years, during that season, there was a great outcry against Paul in the church at Corinth. And so Paul wrote a a letter of tears and sorrow uh, to the church at Corinth. We don't have that letter that letter is, is not found in Scripture. It, it, God, in His grace and wisdom and sovereignty, determined that we shouldn't have that letter. But Paul refers to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. What we discover in 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7 is that Paul, uh, in verses 1 and 2, uh, receives word that the sorrowful letter that had been delivered to the church at Corinth by Titus had its faithful effect, that the church had now reconciled to Paul, and they longed to see him. So Paul, in verses 1 and 2, makes his way to uh, Macedonia, Achaia, Greece being Corinth probably, and he spends about three months with the believers in the church at Corinth. If you remember 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it is all about God's comfort. Blessed be the God who brings all comfort, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our struggles and tribulations. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So Paul had experienced the comfort of God, and he had expressed the comfort of God. He'd spent time with this church with which he had been divided, and he encouraged them. Also, during those three months that Paul was uh, in Greece or with the church at Corinth, it It is probably the time that he wrote the letter to the Romans, the church at Rome. It's probably during that time that we, uh, that Paul wrote those, what we have is the 16 chapters of the book of Romans. So a lot of things are happening here, but all of those things that are happening are happening so that the church might be encouraged, encouraged to be faithful to God, to honor him and to press forward in the mission that God has given us. Today in the 21st century, uh, First Norfolk has a mandate from God to encourage uh, one another, to encourage each other uh, to press on in faithfulness to God in the fulfillment of our call, which is to tell others who Jesus is. Uh, We uh, fulfill our calling as followers of Christ and as the church when we encourage one another. And we all need that encouragement. There are days that we wake up. Today was one of those days where I woke up, went and uh, had a Bible study with some of our great men 
and uh, it was a wonderful time with them. And during that Bible study, I was so encouraged by those men, and I pray that they were encouraged by me. I need that encouragement. You need that encouragement if we're going to faithfully follow Jesus in our uh, uh, chaotic world. We need to be encouraged. And so the Apostle Paul was committed to encouragement. The good news is that, that God in his grace gives us a team to soak our souls in encouragement. God in his grace has given us a team to soak our souls in encouragement. Look at verses 4 and 5 of chapter 20. Verse 4, and Sopater of Berea accompanied Paul to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. Uh, these men going ahead waited for Paul and Luke, for us, Paul and Luke, uh, at Troas. Now, these men were members of a team that God had established uh, to fulfill the mission that God had given Paul and the church at Antioch, the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth. Uh, these are individuals that surrounded Paul, including Luke, and they were uh, supporters of Paul, strengtheners of Paul, correctors of Paul at times. Paul wasn't the leader in the sense that he told everybody what to do and they just did it. Uh, Paul was the leader, but he was also accountable to this team. Uh, this team uh, soaked Paul's soul in encouragement and in the difficulties that had happened in Ephesus, the difficulties that had happened in Corinth, the difficulties that were about to happen in Jerusalem, Paul needed that team, that family to surround him and support him. God in his sovereign purpose and in his grace has created a team for me. I'm surrounded by a team of, of pastors and staff who uh, get around me and strengthen me, encourage me, parakaleo. They come alongside me and take me by the hand and help me walk in the passion and the purpose of the mission that God has given. So today, I want to encourage you, who is your team that God has given you? Certainly, it, 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 those closest uh, relationally to you that are followers of Christ, they are your team. Edie is my first and uh, supreme team member. She and I are team together, Team Thomas. And, and we encourage and spur each other on to be faithful to God and fulfill the mission, the calling that God has given us. But who is your team? Certainly it may be your husband or your wife or your children or your parents. Certainly they are a team that God has given you. But uh, what about your life group? Uh, your life group is designed for you, along with the members of that life group, to do life together. But in doing life together, it is not so that you can get smarter about the things of God, but so that you might be more faithful in fulfilling the calling of God. A life group that is committed only to the dissemination of information is not much of a life group. Life groups are designed to per, uh, press us forward, uh, encourage us onward to accomplish God's purpose and as well at the same time comforting us, emboldening us, uh, correcting us, soaking our souls with strength. Uh, do you have that team? 
that surrounds you. Certainly the church at large called First Norfolk, we are a team surrounding you. I'm so thankful for this church family, surrounding me and inspiring me and encouraging me and be the voice of the Spirit of God at times to me. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful for this team uh, that uh, surrounds me and encourages me. We need that encouragement to face difficult days and to accomplish God's call. So today, if you can't identify that team, uh, it's not because God hasn't provided one. It's because you haven't embraced the team yet. So I want to encourage you uh, to go to your life group and say, hey, listen, you're my team. And I want to encourage you, and I'm asking you to encourage me to fulfill God's call, uh, to be faithful in all things to the God who has saved me through faith in Jesus Christ. So we encourage one another because God gives us a team that soaks our soul in that encouragement. Secondly, encouragement comes through corporate worship. Can I ask you if you're faithfully committed to corporate worship? Worship is not designed for us to merely have a feel-good moment, although it does do that. I'm, uh, if you ever watch me in corporate worship here on the front row, there are those moments when I'm, I'm, I'm literally, as Paul will say in Acts chapter 22, I'm, I'm caught up, you know, I'm, I'm captured emotionally and spiritually in the uh, praise to God. Corporate worship is supposed to do that, certainly, but corporate worship isn't merely designed for a feel-good moment. There are times when I'll walk out of worship and not have a feel-good moment, and yet it's designed to encourage me uh, through the uh, singing of praise to God and preaching of the Word of God. Uh, we are encouraged to pursue and press onward uh, to do the will of God in our everyday life. So uh, worship is a gift of God's grace whereby we gather with other believers in the presence of God and we find encouragement. We're emboldened, uh, we're corrected, we're admonished, we're exhorted, uh, we're comforted. All of those things are aspects of corporate worship and corporate worship is designed for believers to be here. Uh, it's hard and challenging to uh, be engaged in the life of the church itself if you're not engaged in corporate worship. And corporate means bodily presence. And so I just want to encourage you, again, encourage you uh, to be a part of worship. Uh, find your way back uh, to 312 Kimsville Road and join us for corporate worship. Well, uh, that's what was happening in verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, by the way, this is uh, the first day of the week would be Sunday. This is the first allusion that we have in Scripture that the church of the first century began meeting for corporate worship on Sunday. And so the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, they came together, that's the ecclesia, that's the calling together, that's the gathering, they gathered together. The breaking of bread uh, here is most notably the same as it would be in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The church in Jerusalem after uh, Pentecost, after the day of Pentecost, when so many uh, thousands were uh, rescued by God's grace through faith in Christ, Acts 2.42 says that the church, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to the breaking of bread, 
to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Now, what is the breaking of bread in Acts 2.42? It would probably be the same as here in Acts 20, verse 7. And I believe that is, certainly it could be a fellowship meal. And, and that would be very Baptist of them, wouldn't it, to have a fellowship meal? That's certainly a, a part of it, impossibility. But in the context here, it is most likely, and in 2.42, is most likely the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so the disciples came together to celebrate God's glorious work in their lives, the, the work of God's grace through faith in Christ that had rescued them from sin's guilt and shame and condemnation and brought them into the family of God. Uh, this is uh, the act of worship. So Paul, uh, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message till midnight. Now, I love this about a preacher. Uh, here is Paul. And we'll see later uh, that Paul preaches even until dawn the next morning. But here is Paul. He's urgent to get uh, to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. Uh, he's urgent to leave, but he is committed to corporate worship. So uh, urgent to leave, he preaches until midnight. Uh, he just goes on. So uh, here we have Paul preaching. Now, the church gathered on Sundays to hear the word of the Lord and to celebrate what God had done for them in Christ. And that's what we're supposed to do. Now, what makes worship powerful is not the rhetoric, uh, rhetorical style or the preaching acumen of an individual, but rather it is the word of God proclaimed and applied by the spirit of God to the heart of God's people so that we are encouraged to fulfill God's purposes. I, I just as an aside and as a pastor, as your pastor, let me talk to you for a second. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me, I just don't get anything out of worship. And what they're really saying is, um, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm not satisfied with what I'm experiencing in worship. I, I understand that. There have been times when I've sat uh, where you sit and I haven't gotten anything out of worship. But can I tell you, in my experience, the reasons I don't get anything out of worship is because I'm not listening to the Spirit of God. I'm not open in humility to the Word of God. I'm not surrendered to the will of God. Uh, when I walk into worship, corporate worship, and I don't get anything out of it, the problem is not God, and the problem's not the preacher, and the problem's not the Word or the singing. The problem is me. The Spirit of God is present every time we gather. And he longs to open your heart and to encourage you. Uh, when the word of God is opened and proclaimed, it is open and proclaimed to encourage you. To encourage you, to spur you on, to do the will of God, to correct your course, to admonish you, to exhort you, to embolden you, uh, to comfort you. Um, I know different sermons hit different people in different ways, but it's all the word of God applied by the Holy Spirit of God to the heart of those who belong to God. Uh, with that recipe, every time we gather together, uh, corporate worship should change us. And I pray every time I gather with you in the presence of God corporately, I pray that I am transformed by God's grace, through his word, by his spirit, every single time. And I hope that is your prayer. Well, uh, as we look at this passage, a, a, a com, a, it's kind of comical. Preachers make jokes about it. It's not really that comical. Uh, Paul was preaching. He was preaching till midnight. Uh, they began to light candles and lamps, and there was a young man 
uh, he was either uh, somewhere between the age of eight and 14. His name was Eutychus. Eutychus literally means lucky one. That, that's what it means. So Eutychus, the lucky one, was sitting on a windowsill a couple of stories up in this uh, house uh, owned probably by a wealthy follower of Jesus who had opened his home so Paul could come and teach. And, and, and that's a picture of scattered church, by the way. It's where people have gathered together in a place made available to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, accommodate uh, 15 to 50 uh, people. And, and so this, this homeowner had opened his house and it, there were two stories to it. Paul was probably in the courtyard or the promenade of, of that home. And Eutychus was a young man that was sitting on the second or third floor, uh, depending on how they measured those things. He was sitting on a window uh, 20 feet up. And while Paul's preaching and the scent of the lamps and the candles and perhaps the heat, uh, he just, uh, he was overwhelmed and he fell asleep. And when he fell asleep, he fell those 20 feet to the ground. And uh, the scripture says that they found Eutychus dead. And Paul saw it happen and he rushed over to Eutychus and he covered Eutychus and he brought him to himself, embraced him. And Paul declared, he's not dead, there is life in him. And sure enough, Paul presents Eutychus alive. Uh, this is a miracle and it's the last miracle that we see in the book of Acts uh, as it relates to Paul and individuals. And Paul uh, by the power of God's grace, uh, was an instrument through which the Spirit of God brought physical life back to this lucky one, Eutychus. Oh, what a story he had to tell later. Uh, yeah, I fell asleep during sermon, but man, God did a great work in me. Um, I pray that you and I would uh, celebrate what God has done in this setting, but understand that Every time we gather for worship, the Spirit of God is doing miraculous things, whether physically or spiritually or even emotionally. The Spirit of God uh, empowers us uh, in miraculous ways and in encourages us in miraculous ways. So Eutychus is alive. The very uh, last part of this section in chapter 20, it says in verse 12 that they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. That term comforted, parakaleo. Uh, they were exceedingly encouraged by the word that Paul preached. Uh, uh, verse 11 says that he kept on preaching even till daybreak. So here you've got uh, preaching till midnight and then uh, the, the interruption, divine interruption of, of this young boy uh, being raised from death to life. And then he keeps on preaching even until daybreak, till dawn. Uh, that's a long church service, um, and we complain if we have to sit more than 60 minutes. Uh, so uh, they were greatly comforted, encouraged. When we forfeit or abandon corporate worship, we are abandoning an avenue of God's grace to encourage us, to comfort us, uh, to inspire us, to embolden us. Uh, let's not, as the writer of Hebrews said, let's not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, uh, but rather gather together and, 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 and corporately get together to stir up love and good works in one another. When we gather together for corporate worship, we are greatly encouraged for the sake of God's glory and the fulfillment of God's call, which is to tell others who Jesus is. 
So we see in this passage, first, uh, that uh, uh, God gives us a team that can soak our soul in encouragement. Second, God gives us corporate worship, uh, which encourages us. And then third, encouragement flows out of God's glorious work. Uh, In a few weeks, we're going to get together. August the 15th at 3.30, we're going to get together uh, at Sandbridge, Little Island uh, uh, State Park at Sandbridge, and we're going to have beach baptism where we celebrate God's glorious work in the rescuing of sinners from uh, their emptiness and being far from God. We're going to celebrate uh, these individuals who are once were far off but now have been brought near. We're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate together as a church. It's going to be a great time, and you don't want to miss it. But that celebration at beach baptism is similar to what we hear Paul longing to do. Look at verse 16. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus, this place where he had built three years of relationships. He was uh, determined to sail past it. Uh, he was going to sail past it because he didn't want to get bogged down. He, uh, Luke goes on, so that he would not have to spend time in Asia. For he was in a hurry to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Paul was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem, but why? Uh, why did he want to get to Jerusalem? Well, he wanted to get to Jerusalem because uh, he wanted to uh, bring the church at Jerusalem together and celebrate what God had done. Uh, we're going to see how that Paul reported to James and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem all that God had done uh, through this mission, this calling as the church in Ephesus and Corinth and Galatia and uh, Thessalonica and Derby and, and Lystra and Antioch, Pisidian, Antioch of Syria, how all of these churches had been birthed and have believers have been brought into relationship with God and how that the mission, the calling was being fulfilled. Paul wanted to get back to Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost. You remember Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God fell and the church was birthed. Paul wanted to get back before the day of Pentecost so that they could celebrate the birth of the church and the expansion of the glorious work of God's great grace in the lives of others. We need to be a people celebrating God's glorious work. You know, we need to be a people celebrating together. And can I uh, humbly suggest that, that there are things about which we must celebrate. Uh, new life in Christ, we must celebrate. Uh, what God is doing through Iglesia Bautista del Camino, led by Pastor Vernick Suarez, we need to celebrate. Uh, we need to celebrate what God is doing at La Chapelle and Montreal and and uh, 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 Quebec City and uh, Gatineau. And we need to celebrate what God is doing at Church in the Valley in Edmonton. Uh, We need to celebrate what God is doing at uh, uh, church and church plant partners in New York City and, and in Northern Virginia and in the western part of the United States. We need to celebrate what God is doing in this church. Every person that is saved. I don't know if you uh, got to see uh, Miss Janet baptized uh, this past Sunday. But if you saw that, uh, you know what I'm talking about. That is celebration. Uh, that gives me strength and encouragement for the next days that I'm going to be living and gives me a passion to tell others who Jesus is. 
As we close tonight, I, I just want to ask you, are you uh, being faithful uh, to pinpoint and to pray for your one, that one person who is far from God in your sphere of influence? Are you praying for them every day? We're praying for them as a church. Are you praying for them? Are you looking for open doors of opportunity to share Jesus with them? I'm praying that that happens. And I'm praying that lives are transformed and that the seven cities of Hampton Roads will never be the same again because First Norfolk was faithful uh, to share the good news of God's rescuing love. Let me encourage you today. Be faithful and look for those opportunities to tell others who Jesus is. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he bless your coming in. May he bless your going out. May he fill your life with encouragement and comfort and boldness. God bless you and good evening.